Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a member of the 1012 Podcast Network. You can find great coverage of all 14 teams in the Big 12 over at 1012podcast.net. This podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. They are a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. They want you to be the best-dressed fan this season. So check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. They've got some really cool Longhorn designs. This is one with a helmet on it that I've got my name on it. My birthday's this weekend, so I made you pull the trigger on it. And you can, too, use the podcast code T. E N one two fifteen to get fifteen percent off your uh, your purchase of any non sale item at www.charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Maybe you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at. Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's still euphoric after three days. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Man, uh, whew, euphoria, I think, is set in LA, but you could set it in deep south Tuscaloosa, Alabama for a new season just off the vibes uh, that were emanating from Tuscaloosa all the way to Austin. I spent far too much time Sunday just on social media, seeing the the tweets, the 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 jokes, the laughs, the uh, the little uh, videos that we missed of, of certain linemen pummeling people or uh, players making quotes or you know in, in between plays or dancing uh, during breaks. It was great. Everything was good. The vibes are good. Like I, I told uh, a good friend and coworker of mine um, that I didn't necessarily anticipate it, but. Celebration whiskey is is far sweeter than sad whiskey. My wife got to see a new Texas football side of me, not just the anxious in a big game me that was amplified. Like, I don't feel like I felt this way in a very long time. And so after like 11 years of being together, we dated for a year, been married for 10. Don't do that, kids, by the way. Don't get married after a year. <laughs> we still need to learn each other a little bit. Uh, we are the exception, not the rule. Anywho, but after 11 years of watching me just wail and gnash my teeth over Texas football to see the pure euphoria um it was it was you know a really great experience for us i wish my kids had been able to stay awake for it but it's fine they're needed to go to sleep so we're going to talk big game in tuscaloosa texas knocks off alabama um and sets itself up really to be in the driver's seat for a lot of things this year we've got a lot to talk about there close the show out with some dt40 all of the other teams in action on campus and obviously we'll bang the drum but we got to start where we finished last week, Texas, heading to Tuscaloosa for the first time uh, in more than 100 years, 121 years uh, to be exact, but uh, went to Tuscaloosa and took on the mighty Alabama Crimson Tide. It was a mixed bag. Vegas had Texas as a seven and a half point dog. Uh, ESPN picked them. Uh, Texas, not majority, but or a majority, but not unanimous. Uh, it was it was a really you know, it was a pivotal matchup and matchup of the week. And Texas managed to not just go into Tuscaloosa and win, but do it in pretty convincing fashion. I 
never thought I would get to see the Longhorns in victory formation at Bryant-Denny. And not only did we see that, but Texas kind of did it the Alabama way. It kind of bullied them for the final seven minutes of the game, ran the ball nine straight times. Uh, Hayden Connor did a little hand flex to uh, draw somebody off sides to get the uh Fourth down conversion to end the game. Texas goes for it in victory. Uh, Quinn Ewers loses six rushing yards in that, but that's fine. We're totally okay with it, and Texas came out on top. So, Kyle, we, we joked about it off top, but, like, you know, we're a couple of days removed from that. Like, And I'm trying to sift through the recency bias, but this feels like an even bigger win than the Sugar Bowl. This feels like probably the biggest win since Texas was good 13 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's <clears> – <throat> It's hard to say that Sugar Bowl, knowing what we know now, right? That could have been the start of something. This could be the start of something. I think this win with the optimism that it inherently brings and the fact that we get to play next week, right? We get to figure out pretty quickly in the, in the coming weeks, is this the start of a thing? And, you know, this a lot of people this offseason kind of pin this as a barometer of is Texas bad? It's not that, right? Sark said this is a benchmark game. We feel like we can uh, go in and beat them. We respect them, but we don't fear them. And, and I think you saw that, right? It, it, I think if Texas ekes out a walk-off field goal win, we still feel euphoric. I think a lot of the feelings this week, Gerald, are the fact that the Alabama Crimson Tide, that same one, the one that you've heard of for 20 years, the one that you know your, your grandfather knew, that they, they, they are a true blue blood, but they are the dynasty of note right now. Texas manhandled them. Texas beat them. Texas should have beat them by more. Texas was the more physical team. Texas showed heart. They showed resilience. They showed fight and comeback. They, 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 they won on the road, something they haven't done. They got, you know, down where things didn't go exactly to the script and to their, you know, what they hoped the game flow would be and then responded like things, the questions we've asked of Texas, they kind of answered most of them. Was it a perfect game? By no means. Like that's almost the best part, right? Like I was talking to some of my coaching buddies this week. It's like, if you can win a big game in convincing fashion and still be able to coach on them all week, you know, really just ride ride their tails to say you're not perfect you know and you have an a plus game and that wasn't it um that's a really exciting feeling yeah i think a lot of the the feeling the elation the euphoria from texas fans really is just some weight off of the shoulders i feel like there was this collective like just weight that that came off of a lot of folks shoulders it really felt uh cathartic in a lot of ways to see that happening i think it was cathartic for sark i think it was cathartic for quinn ewers to go about that way and so uh, there are two ways we could start have this conversation either the court we can talk about the quarterback and the offense we can talk about the defense and i think they're both very different but but complimentary for the first time in a while conversations uh to have and, and I think you know a week after maligning the offense and what we saw from them whether it was the offensive line whether it was Quinn Ewers inability to uh hit on the deep ball I think uh, we got to see both of those really remedied. Uh, the videos of DJ Campbell just manhandling folks, just absolutely, absolutely incredible following the play. Um, you know, DJ Campbell probably read all the tweets uh, and maybe, uh, you know, he, we know he's active on social media. Uh, but DJ Campbell came out and played a really he heck of a game. He rotated with uh, the other guards there, and, and I think it worked out really well for Texas. Um, and it worked out well for Quinn Ewers, who uh, after a week of folks wondering if he's the guy, does he have it? Can he connect on the defense? 
deep ball or should they uh, connect on the medium the medium stuff? Uh, Quinn Ewers cracks the cracks it open with a 44-yard touchdown, scoring the first touchdown of the game. Uh, it ends with a ridiculous line, uh, 349, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Like he, he had a streak in there where he went six of seven for 135 and two scores. Um, that was really like the the when we talk about Texas answering, that's Texas answering. Is that right there? That little streak for Quinn Ewers and Sark trusted him to get it done. The first down numbers are ridiculous. He went over 200 on on first downs and two of the three touchdowns came on first downs. Absolutely insane stuff from Ewers. Yeah, that first down number, Gerald, you shared that with me. I, I hadn't seen that stat. Blew my mind. I think you can read Gerald's piece and see some of those inside the numbers. Um, but it, it blew my mind. I mean, I knew we were good on on first down and I knew we set ourselves up for some, you know, manageable thirds and, and we didn't actually go for it as much as I thought we would in the beginning. We showed, all right, we're, we're playing to win. We're betting the house and, and, you know, nothing to lose, which I appreciated. Um, but we didn't even have to do that all game. It wasn't like that Texas tech where we're going to do that for four quarters against Texas. Uh, they did it a couple of times, but really they, they got themselves in such, such manageable positions that it, it Money downs were a winning factor. We'll talk about the defensive side for sure, um, which was one of the big keys from last year and, and heading into this week about how you how you win this game. Um, but yeah, I think all, all the credit in the world, we always start with the quarterback, but this is the game for the quarterback that we were wanting to see. Now, can we replicate it? All of that. There's a season to play. Plenty of things to see. This was the first time we saw five-star Quinn Ewers. This is the first time we saw the Quince who was promised. This is the first time that he looked like, you know, the guy who changes the trajectory of a program, which everyone in the nation was basing their prognostication on the fact of whether this could become a reality. And it was. And look, we'll get to it. And we, we spend a lot of time kind of giving him praises. But just start with Sark setting Quinn up for success. Of course, that's a big part of it. But Quinn did it, right? It was it was getting the ball out quick when they needed and letting his receivers do things. Sark's called those plays before. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and it was setting those up. And then the big shot, which we've seen so many times, and I almost was shocked the first time when he, he sent that pitching wedge up into the air and, and you know, it came down perfectly for Xavier Worthy who made the play. I was like, wait, that's how it feels to set it up and then take the top off a of defense and it works? Like, it, it feels like it's been so long. Um it was beautiful. And I mean, he just looked confident, poised in his bag, unshaken, unrattled, uh, unafraid of the Alabama defense. He, he seemed like a guy who knew what the game plan was, how he was going to beat them, what was required of him to do so. Um, and really just, you know, credit obviously to the offensive line of, of allowing him the time he needed, but he didn't have happy feet. He wasn't overthinking. He wasn't, you know, doing his bad mechanics stuff. He had a clean pocket and he stood there and stepped into throws and did literally what we've asked, what we've dreamed uh, for a couple of years. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we talked about it. He cleaned up a lot of his mechanics, and I think he cleaned up a lot of his thinking and the way that he processed. And, you know, that that first deep ball may not have been the prettiest thing, and, and a lot of it was, I think, an intentional pitching wedge situation, just lofting it up to the green. Um, but, you know, like the the ones to A.D. Mitchell, the ones to J.T. Sanders, those were on the money. Those were on the rope. And like you said, that's the Quinn Ewers that I think we expected to see. I think that's the Quinn Ewers that a lot of folks are projecting to be an NFL draft pick. Uh, and it was funny, after the game... Uh, Arch Manning was trending on Twitter because people are like, oh, he's going to transfer. He's going to transfer. Like, if this is not Steve Sarkeesian's master plan for the quarterback room coming together in real time, then I don't know what is. Like, this is Quinn that's going to be gone this year and turn the, the reins over, presumably, uh, to Malik Murphy or, or Arch Manning. Like, I mean, 
Archie Manning's obviously the plan, but Malik Murphy showed out in the spring, so we'll see how that works out. But I think part of the ability that Quinn Ewers had to do that was the offensive line looked like a completely different set of dudes from a, a week ago. And I know part of that is because uh, Kyle Flood broke the whole foot off, probably even the shin and some of the knee off in their rear ends this last week. But um, not only did Bama go without a sack for like for a, a with, without a sack and only giving up like three pressures, uh, which the first time this happens, it's 2014. So more than a, for basically a decade. Um, but they haven't been held sackless since 2018. So like that is objectively the best pass blocking performance we've seen from Texas in years. And there's no two ways around. And, and you know, they've, they've had similar clean sheets against worse teams, but like going up against an Alabama team, that's got, you know, five-star defenders and not giving up at, you know, you know, who still plays there? Dallas Turner still plays there and he's going to be a first round or an early round edge rusher and keeping that guy off the sheet is massive. So I think a big part of what uh, yours was able to do has to be credited to that offensive line group. Yeah. I don't think you have one without the other, right? Like does, does yours make some plays in this game? If he doesn't have a clean pocket, can he throw off platform to the medium? Sure. But you do not get the game that you got with Quinn finally unlocking the deep ball with Quinn finally, um, you know, them start being able to scheme against match quarters to get Quinn the look he wants at the time he wants and make the throw that he needs to in that moment. You you, you just don't get that um, without that time for it to develop, without that ability for him to be clean. Right. I, when I was rewatching, I think I saw legitimately two times that he was even, you know, got contact upon like they just were tasked and stepped up to defend him. Like Gerald said, the the players must read the tweets. Um, The coaches must uh, have lit a fire. I'm not willing to say there was any lack of energy or uh, focus on Rice, but it just looked like if you were to line up the two offensive line or defensive line performances, I guess, um, Rice was significantly more dangerous. Quinn got sacked. Quinn got hit. Uh, Free runs at the quarterback. I mean, the fact that they fixed that with Campbell mauling people in the run, finishing plays with Hudson finishing plays after the run. There was a specific play where Campbell took, uh, you know, took a linebacker rushing, uh, fed him over to to the tackle, jumped back inside, um, and and held off on the uh, the defensive lineman on the inside to protect Quinn. I mean, that those types of plays that's mature, seasoned, well-communicated blocking. Um, And look, I mean, if Texas offensive line plays that well, uh, the whole offensive playbook opens up, the whole offense opens up, and the ceiling of this team skyrockets. The running game gets better. The passing game gets better. Texas gets more complimentary. Uh, and, And it's just absolutely incredible. Especially because Texas was able to do what it wanted um, in every aspect of the game, they were able to run when they wanted to, and and really we're talking about late, right? Early was a was a slugfest back and forth, and kind of one of those old school SEC games. But like when when the game was on, and when Texas needed to respond, they were able to pass, they were able to run. Jonathan Brooks was able to get those tough yards. Um, there were some blocking miscues by by some of the pass catchers. I know the. Um, there was a reverse that could have been six if uh, Jatavian Sanders is able to, to finish his block, but that's another conversation for another day. But like overall, this is probably um, what the game that we've wanted to see from Texas for a long time, and not necessarily just the result, right? Obviously, we want Texas to win these games, and they've been in these games, and they've won some of these games before, but 
you know, when, when Bama scored to retake the lead, uh, I was like, oh man, this is where we're going to learn about the team. And, and I honestly assumed that, that Bama was going to win the thing. Um, and then Texas counterpunched and counterpunched and went from down, you know, three to up 11 in two minutes, literally two minutes before you could even think about it. And that's more than anything, more than anything out of this game. That's what I think is the most telling and the difference in the difference for Texas now than it was even two years ago. Yeah, I mean, 100%. You know what the other difference is, Gerald, uh, comparing to last year, for instance? Um, two years ago, they, you know, you saw Sark get in his bag, run some some wrinkles, some plays that teams didn't have an answer for. But, you know, you play good teams. Big 12 is a, is a good conference full of good coaches. The SEC, obviously the same. Anyone you play is going to be smart enough to – all right, we, we can respond, right? Texas did it in this game. We'll talk a little bit about how Texas responded. But two years ago, Sark could scheme some things up, but it felt like they lost it in the second half. A lot of times because people figured it out and you couldn't just go run the basic playbook and beat the other team, right? Texas lacked some of that. And then last year, it seemed like they were a little bit closer. All those one-score games, like they could they could run the the Sark plays and, and you know, then when they counterpunched, they could do a little bit. They didn't always hold up on both sides of the ball and enable each other in the best ways. And one game, the defense, one game, the offense, it just wasn't all there. This year, in addition to what Gerald talked about with, you know, what was done out there, there's also just better players in the passing game. And that's no offense to, to any of the players who've been on the team. <clears throat> but you saw A.D. Mitchell. When X went off in the first half and they said, okay, we have to handle this. We're going to bracket him. Um, we're going to put our best corner on him and we're going to roll coverage to his side. That's what Sark wanted. That was part of the scheme is we're going to go to X early. So they respond to that and then we're going to open it up. Then Jatavian Sanders is going to have space to work in and just go off like a monster. Then A.D. Mitchell, the Bama killer, uh, Bama's Bane. Uh, yes. <laughs> anytime there's a Bane, I, I give you credit. I don't know if you said that, but I know you thought it. A.D. Mitchell, you know, just makes it look so easy. Honestly, his biggest problem when he gets draft graded is probably going to be he runs so easy. He doesn't look like he's blocking too hard, but he just makes it look so easy out there that it almost seems like he's not trying. But, like, if that guy can stay healthy all year, he's got, you know, NFL wide receiver one type upside. Just the way he one move, you know, beats good cornerbacks, like beats good coverage when you put it one-on-one. He's just fluid and quick and rangy and, and great hands and always makes the play. Like, it's just he's fantastic. And then Jordan Whittington is like, oh, it's a third down. Well, we still have Jordan Whittington, and he's still never going to go down on the first uh, the first tackle. Uh, it's just it's it's there's a lot in that offense that is is scary. And the moment you say, and this is what Sark wants, the moment you say, okay, we have to stop X, we have to take that away. This year, that's when it really opens up, and that's when you know it gets really fun. And if Quinn is able to execute again, that offense, we didn't talk about the running game. Um, Brooks had a, a really solid game, recovered two fumbles. Uh, one of which was <laughs> the weirdest play ever. The other uh, ended up being ruled an incompletion, um, but was putting that work in, finishing runs. Uh, that had to be that balance to keep Bama, Bama honest. Um, finish that touchdown run and finish that last drive. Cedric Baxter looked great in his second ever game um, in, in credit to the line in, in front of them. Uh, Brooks did have the drop two games now where, you know, touchdown could have been. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll get that part figured out. I thought that the running game still looked dangerous. And when teams try to sell out, 
to figure out a way to stop all these passing options. There's going to be a lot of eating to do depending on the game plan week to week. There's going to be games where the running backs are going to be huge carriers. And we saw where seven minutes left, we got to, we got to move the ball. What did they do? Ran it down their throat and they did it. And they did it. That's the point. They, Everyone in that stadium, all the millions watching on TV, everyone knew what they were going to do. There wasn't a cutesy Sark call in that moment. Go out, lineman hat on hat win, running backs, finish forward, get the extra yards, drive it, pound it, and win. And they did. When you can do that to anybody, but much less Alabama, right? Because this may not be your granddad's Alabama, and that's all the you know the conversation everybody said. Alabama's falling off, say whatever, whatever, right? Um, watch Alabama crack off like you know <laughs> ten more, and then win the SEC. It's another conversation for another day. Um, but like. Regardless, going into an environment like that, going on the road, uh, and being able to do that is just absolutely ridiculous. And part of the reason why Texas was able to do that is also because the defense kept them in it for most of that game. Uh, because much like last year, early on, Texas struggled to put the ball in the end zone in the red zone. And so the defense played an incredible game and really uh, had a plan. Pete Kwiatkowski um, is silencing all... I think all of the critics that were giving last year's game uh, plan and game scheme and a lot of credit to Gary Patterson, Pete Kwiatkowski did it this year. Um, and and even with some of the the like the the one big blown play that they had is just a, a weird situation. Honestly, it looked like old old Texas bad defense, but like it's just a weird broken play that shouldn't have happened. But outside of that, like. I have, they just completely dominated Alabama. Tavondre Sweat on every down demanded at least two blockers, right? Like Anthony Hill coming out and, and leading the team and having two sacks and Ethan Burke um, getting tackled and still sacking the guy. David Benda playing probably his best game of the year. Uh, we didn't, honestly, I thought we'd see more Jalen Ford and we didn't really see a ton of Jalen Ford uh, in this game because the rest of the team was doing what it needed to do. Um, we, we have to shout out Bug Thompson and Jade Barron as well for, um, being able to uh, just absolutely like get in Jalen Milrow's head. I think part of the reason Jalen Milrow struggled was that combination of like Texas just physically dominated the Alabama offensive line, able to get able to get pressure just bringing four. And then you've got guys like Jade Barron who are intentionally like misaligning themselves to bait Jalen Milrow into passes uh, that they can pick off and take the other way. So like the defense just played a complete game and absolutely just frustrated Tommy Reese and frustrated Jalen Milrow and really more so than the offense, right? Quinn Ewers is getting the headlines, but I think this, the defense deserves probably more of the credit if I'm going to go and say it. Probably more. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. Maybe not even probably. Um, look, Alabama started the game running the ball, and I was a little bit worried, right? How, how are they going to, you know, these running backs are, are carving us up in the middle. And they responded. They said, okay, they, they used a little bit of Alfred Collins on the edge in the beginning. They they shifted some of the ways that I think Ford was basically, you know, told to play, you know, run first. They were they were um, kind of spy blitzing, if you will, blitzing. Uh, blitzing to contain Milrow and his threat. Um, and as they settled in, some people said, why did Alabama go away from the run? It's, well, Alabama kept trying to run, but Texas took it away from them um, in the later quarters. Um, but I thought this was a three-level defensive performance. You, you named a couple of the guys. I mean, Al- I remember last year, we talked about it a lot, that Sark had a had a canny um, improvisation uh, of, of putting Andre Carrick, the sixth lineman, the offensive tackle, in a jersey number where he could play tight end and basically 
stuck six guys on the line as blockers and kept running backs in and basically max protected, right? Had two guys running routes, eight protecting the quarterback and said, let's go see if we can beat him. And they did a couple of times just because, you know, Xavier Worthy was that dude in that game and, and, you know, it worked for them. Alabama had to do that against Texas. They, when they had some success in the second half and they came out, it was because Alabama went to max protect. And again, they, they, what that does is it lets Alabama, who has some great athletes uh, on that offense, like let's not forget Alabama is a team full of incredible athletes, as much talent as any team in the country. Um, and you know, Jermaine Burton got behind Bug on one of them. That's fine. Bug made the interception. Again, that's where we talk about responding. But what that also did is it didn't give Milrow a ton of options. And we know Milrow, as we talked about in this very podcast, stares at his first read, and that's what allowed the second interception. Like, they didn't have enough options for him. He couldn't get out and run when they were in max protect, and he tried to force it, and Texas baited him and, and, and intercepted it, and it was beautiful. Um, Benda looked like a missile. Uh, Anthony Hill was a revelation. I mean, I made the Harold Perkins comparisons, and there's things that he can't do, right? They, they, he's still learning. He's not going to drop back in coverage. As a spy, he overplayed a little bit. But when it's, hey, get to the quarterback, but not with your hair on fire in a way you're uncontrolled. His second sack was blitz, uh, push the defender, you know, the, the tackle off uh, so you can read what the quarterback is going to do when you see you have it just then go missile and take him out for the sack. And, and that takes such a special player to be able to do what Hill did. Um, again, like you, you pointed out, Gerald, the, the pressure – internally that Murphy made. Um, Murphy will be my all-time player I'm talking about for years whose stats do not match his contribution. He just does not show up in the stat sheet the same way he shows up to the eye. He's he's strong, and he he laid a hit, one of the hits on Milrow that I think, you know, will be the one that he's feeling, though there's there's multiple, because they hit him a lot, and he's fast, and he's an incredible athlete with a first step that's Mike Vick-esque. Um and he has a deep ball. When he puts that all together, he can be a great quarterback. We saw that. But where he's at right now, Texas took advantage of that. And this wasn't necessarily Texas's go-to game plan. I think a defense needs to have an identity, but a defensive coordinator probably more than any coach needs to be flexible and needs to respond and take away something and take away what they want to do. And to Kwiatkowski's credit, they came in with a specific game plan that was not just This is what we do every week. Let's tweak it a little. They came with an Alabama game plan for Milrow, for those receivers, for those running backs, how to attack that line. That is going to be the blueprint that other teams try to run all year against Alabama. Texas um, defense was phenomenal. I mean, just cannot say enough about what that defensive line did. If the offensive line gets all the praise, they were even more dominant in the trenches on the defensive side, which is hard to say. Yeah, and you mentioned Anthony Hill over pursuing a couple of times. The crazy thing about Anthony Hill is he took he over pursued on multiple times with but was athletic enough to make up for it. Like most times when that happens, the guy's gone and he's able to run him down from behind, which is absolutely just ridiculous. But I mean, we could heap praise on the defense and, and on these players for so long, but they got a ton, a ton of recognition this week for their efforts. And, and we could, like, nitpick on, like, the third downs or, like, the red zone stuff, but, like, Texas got it done when they needed to. Quinn Ewers and, and um, A.D. Mitchell were named the Big 12 Player of the Offensive Player and Newcomer of the Week, respectively. Ewers, for his trouble, was part of the Davy O'Brien's uh, Great Eight and the Manning Award Star of the Week. The team was named the Cheez-It National Player of the Week. Anthony Hill made his way to the... Uh, on three true freshman of the week, Ryan Sanborn for his trouble. Ryan Sanborn was in his bag, man. Average 50 yards a punt, had one down in the 20 fakes to some, uh, 
acrobatics from Jade Baron himself, uh, but was named to my favorite list of the week, Ray's Guys, <laughs> uh, for the top eight punters of Is that the really week. what Just it's absolutely called? Absolutely incredible. That is a hundred percent Ray's Guys. That's and brilliant. I had never seen it before, and it's beautiful, right? It's so incredible. That's the Ray Guy Award. I'm sure most of our listeners know that, but that's the award at the end of the season <laughs> goes to the top punter. It's called the Ray Guy. And I am finding out live on air that the weekly award is called Ray's Guys. And that might be my favorite thing in college football this week. Absolutely. So his probably his other favorite thing in college football this week, a Podstradamus update brought to you by Prize Picks. Kyle hits on both of his Texas with two passionate touchdowns and less than 50 rush yards for Jalen Milrow. I'm mad because my Podstradamus that hit was five <laughs> sacks. I could I went with two. I almost went with three. Texas comes up with five, but I miss on Texas having a hundred yard rusher, which is just for Gerald, I'm benevolent. Because you more than doubled and because that was such a key part of the game and because that had so rarely happened and because we had both predicted over the years many sack uh, predictions that didn't come true, I am willing to give you one and a half points on this week's Podstradamus because you outperformed just like the Texas defensive line. I'll take it. I will take your pity half point, and hopefully it comes in handy later on in the year. So Texas back in action on Saturday against Wyoming, who has a taste for Big 12 flesh. We'll see what it turns out on. Kyle and I will actually be in the stands for that one. Excited to get to see that one in person. Kyle and I haven't watched a game together in like... 15 years so it's gonna be fun to see it uh but yeah texas will be back in action on saturday we'll have all of our normal stuff for you next week so now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40 we start with number seven formerly top ranked on campus now displaced by the texas longhorn football team but number seven volleyball sweeps for the week florida gulf coast and Rice dominant performances against both 25 to 19, 25 18, 25 13 against Florida Gulf Coast, uh, 25 16, 25 21, and 25 15 over Rice. Big way for Texas to get their first two home wins of the year and and hopefully start to get the ball rolling. This is a team that needs to find some rhythm and some uh, some consistency before Big Twelve play because the Big Twelve got harder with the addition of some of the uh, some of the new additions to the Big Twelve. So I'm curious to see uh, if this can help springboard them to a better run yeah i think um maddie skinner is is starting to step in she had 19 kills against rice rice was a team that started the season ranked um they're just outside the receiving votes now so uh, a good win there florida florida gulf, gulf coast was kind of a get right but th- these are their first two home wins of the year right their, their only home matches are against number one stanford uh these two and it is you know multiple in a row and a good time to come home get right, had a a very difficult start, Um, not the start they wanted as defending national champions, uh, replacing some parts. Asia O'Neal starting to make herself known and and, and dominate a little in the the middle. Uh, Jenna Wienus is uh, is fantastically named and performing fantastically. So, uh, yeah, I think the team is starting to get it. This might be a team that is in the top ten is number you know five six seven heading into the tournament and needs to get hot at the right time if they want to defend um, or maybe by the end of the year they really haven't figured out that some of the new players are fully gelled but we're we're still in the still in the training wheel stage there's still the baby giraffe wobbling with legs a little bit as they come out but they'll be running soon enough 
Yeah, so they need to they need to start running. They've got Ohio State uh, at home on Thursday, and then Washington State on Friday. After that, it's Big Twelve, man. And the Big Twelve is no slouch this year. They start with Oklahoma on September twenty second, so it'll be a big run for them. And we'll see what Texas has in it. Number seventeen, soccer goes one zero and one on the week, uh, moving their year. Moving their record this year to 6-1-1. One, and one. They beat Stewart of Austin 7-0 and then uh, came to a draw against number 23, Gonzaga. A zero, a nil-nil draw in that one. Rare low-scoring outing from the Longhorns. And from the Gonzaga Bulldogs, they were number one and number three, respectively. Texas number one, Gonzaga number three in scoring offense. Um, I believe the Horns had scored 24, including that SFA win, 24 in their previous four matches. That's six goals a match incredible stuff and then you have this Gonzaga team I really thought it was going to be like a four to five three to four type match and it was zero zero with 19 shots each so shouts to Mia Justice who had a career high nine saves in that one and Texas for their money set a program record with most consecutive clean sheets with their fifth in the row they're they're four minutes away from 500 minutes without a goal allowed so their defense um, even without full health is is playing well uh, just as they head into uh, you know some of the conference play here, but I don't want to skip over that SFA game. Some some things happen there, Gerald. Le- Lexi Misimo, you know, if I told you Les- Lexi Misimo scores goals or assists goals, which one would you say she's she's best at? Ooh, that is that is a tough one. Um, I'm gonna say assists. Yeah, she's she's very very good. In fact, um, she's one uh, one assist off uh, breaking her own single season record, which she has fifteen each of the past two years. Um, that's the program record. Um, she has fifteen this year as well, um, and it's only through seven games. So yes, Gerald, it's it's assist. She's very good at that. But she also scores a lot of goals. In fact, she had a hat trick against SFA and four assists. There were seven goals scored. She had a hat trick. And four assists. You see what I'm what I'm getting at there? Uh, that's a program record of ten points on the night. Trinity Byers got one of those for her tenth goal. She's the second player in UT history with three double digit goal seasons. Remember, they're seven games in. So basically, Missimo and uh, and Byers are just out here setting records. Um, all good. I mean, there's a lot still to go for this team, but you know they're they're offensively looking great. Defense, they have a nice streak going. So we'll see which one, if both, if not both, can keep up for you know Big Twelve play that also includes number one BYU is now the number one team in women's soccer now in the Big Twelve. It's going to be a tough one, right? Um, whew, it, the Big Twelve is kind of a meat grinder in women's sports, and really in every sport, right? The Big Twelve might be the best all around sport conference, top to bottom, especially because the Pac twelve is dead. Yeah, now um, the Pac twelve is so, dead. For now sure. the Pac twelve is dead. The Big Twelve probably takes the title. Uh, Texas and OU leaving is going to hurt it a bit, but that's the, fine. I see the hero there, but. The uh, ladies kick off Big 12 play uh, at Baylor on Thursday. So the day you're listening to our preview show for the week, you can also like listen to it while you're driving to uh, to uh, watch the uh, game up in Waco. A bit is doing some heavy lifting about OU and Texas leaving, hurting that that statistic. Uh, yes, there's still other good teams in other sports, but uh, between OU and UT, I think they won like. 88% of conference titles uh, last year and over the past decade. So um, that's it's generous fine. of you. It's fine. Uh, number 11, men's golf ties for six at the uh, Shaley Players Championship. Jacob Sosa was the low score for Texas at two over the weekend. Graduate Brian Stark finished four over on the tournament. 
It was a good field, including number one, Illinois, number three, Arizona State, number five, Pepperdine, number nine, Stanford, number 10, Texas Tech, number 13, OU, number 18, o- Oklahoma State, number 20, Arizona, number 25, Wake, you get the, the vibes. Uh, top 40 now after the, the tournament host UW. They were supposed to be the weak ones, and they had a great tournament on their home course. So six is good when you're basically looking at all tournament teams across the board. Um, would like to see them get sharper as the season goes on. Yeah, I think they will. I think they're going to have an opportunity to, to continue to surge. I think Texas Country Club sports are going to be good this year. Uh, keeping that in mind, number seven women's golf uh, begins the campaign with the Annika Intercollegiate, which is presented by 3M at the Royal Golf Club in Lake Elmo, Minnesota. That's a mouthful, uh, but that starts today on Monday as we're recording it and runs through uh, the 13th on Tuesday. Crowded field there as well. You've got number six, Mississippi State, uh, Texas, obviously at number seven, number 11, Oregon, number two, Wake Forest, number seven, South Carolina, number three, Dirty Dirty Texas A&M, number 10, Florida State, 12, Baylor, 13, San Jose State, Virginia, Duke, and Minnesota all in there. Texas's lineup is pretty, uh, pretty intense in that. Yeah, Cindy, uh, Cindy Hu, Farrow O'Keefe, Selena Liao, Bentley Cotton, and Lauren Kim, um, some freshmen mixed in there, competing while three other golfers will compete as individuals at the University of New Mexico Championship in Albuquerque. That's Angela Hu, uh, Bo Park, and Tiffany Cow. So because we talked about at the beginning of the season, this team is so deep, they legitimately could run out. They don't have one superstar. They have, you know, probably six players fighting for those last three four spots um you might see this where they're just trying to get get reps get you know players tournament time where that that lineup changes a bit at tournaments and you know assistant coaches are taking the team to other places so uh very interesting to watch this year for number seven we talked about in our kind of preseason when that ranking came out they are the only top 10 team without a top 40 individual player or top 25 individual player on it so um they will be a team-led thing and so it's uh, a good coaching job for a multiple time big 12 coach of the year uh and see how uh, how he's going to handle that rotation this year It'll be interesting. I mean, it, it's good to have options, right? It's good for Texas to have options there, and I think um, the alchemy of it's going to be interesting to see play out. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Um, part of me wanted to bang the drum on my joke that uh, Gerald skipped over, but it was in my article on Burn Orange Nation this week that this is Texas's first trip to Tuscaloosa since 1902, uh, which was also Christian Jones's uh, freshman season, um, which is just a great joke. Go read my article on Burn Orange Nation. I'll have another good, the bad and the ugly for this Alabama game coming out when you hear this podcast as well. Um, but I won't. I'm not. I'm not here to bang my own drum. Of course, um, I'm not even going to bang the drum on the 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 snapping that Texas did in this one. Alabama's first out of conference loss at home since 07. Double digit uh, home loss since 2004. Only lost in 125 plus games uh, the past 10 years or so uh, by double digits. Now three times. Uh, 21 game home streak. Longest in the country. Snap. None of that. Gerald, I ordered the burn orange Air Maxes this week. Um, <laughs> And I thought they were going to be good. Like, I really did. I thought they were going to be good. Listeners, they are better than good. Those things are so fire flames. They look better than they do online. I get no commission. I don't have a code for 10% off. I wish I did. Uh, I got mine from the co-op. Go order them if you, uh, like me, like a little burnt orange in your shoe, but not a full burnt orange shoe. I know the Pegasus is more full burnt orange if that's to your liking. The Air Maxes give just the right palette, but you can wear them also through the week because they're a little more neutral. Um, I love them. Couldn't love them more. And sorry, I couldn't go without saying this one, Gerald. 
Texas showed heart, but did you read the story on Yahoo News? I had heard nothing about it, about Steve Sarkeesian's like, emergency heart procedure when he arrived at Bama. That was my read of the week. If you haven't checked it out, we can link it. Um, it was basically about this, you know, Nick Saban not only saving Sark's career, but his life. Um, so we'll, we'll put a, a link to that one. It, it's, it's not an exaggeration. There was uh, an emergency heart procedure that a Saban physical found for Sark. Um, so crazy week uh, that that came out and then Texas went out and like their coach showed some heart. Yeah, absolutely wild story. Um, and just incredible. Steve Sarkeesian talks about like how much he owes Nick Saban. And, and I think this coming out this week was, was not, uh, not accidental, uh, based on what, how Steve Sarkeesian feels about Nick Saban. Uh, so I'm banging the drum this week on the, there are a couple things I could bang the drum on, right? There was this video of Bama fans being racist, but it is what it is. I think we expect stuff like that, um, which is sad to say out loud that, like, we kind of expect some of those things to happen. It shouldn't, and we shouldn't. Um, I also wanted, thought about, like, keeping expectations in check. Like, yes, it's a big win, but, like, the Big 12 is really the goal. But really what I want to bang the drum this week on is something I've banged the drum before, um, and that's the Big 12 keeping our names out of its mouth. Um, the Big 12 spent a lot of time and um, hot air this offseason talking about how much they wanted Texas to lose. Brett Yomark went to Lubbock and talked about how he's going to be there on Black Friday and he hopes that um, Texas Tech gets it done against Texas and blah, 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 blah. Uh, all of that jaw jacking they did, one, for Texas Tech to be Owen 2 right now. I'm glad they met my friend Owen. Uh, but also, for them to come out and try to hype this win up as a Big 12 thing, like that that Big 12 tweet of Quinn Ewers um, just felt like, I don't even know how to describe it, but like, I just just keep our freaking names out your mouth, dude. Like you can't you can't switch it up now. Like we know how you feel about us. So we're good. This is going to be another, you know, 11 months of an arranged marriage and then we'll be out and you guys will be out and it's fine. Right. We will keep this thing moving. We'll keep it together for the sake of the kids, which are the other 10 teams, not named Texas and OU. Right. Um, we'll keep it together for the sake of the kids. And then we'll keep, we'll move on. And I just cannot wait. I cannot wait for Brett Yormark to have to hand that trophy to Chris Del Conte and Steve Sarkeesian in Arlington. I cannot freaking wait. I am going to meme it so hard. I am going to listen to Reigns of Castamere over and over while it happens. I'm going to say that Red McComb sends his regards as they slide the knife between his ribs. Like that is what is going to happen in Arlington. Keep our freaking name out your mouth. The Red parentheses McCombs close parentheses wedding I love it um there is that picture of of uh Brett uh having to hand the basketball trophy over where the, they snapped him just looking miserable as Texas celebrates there it'll only be amplified um yeah it's uh I wish they would have just tweeted a picture like instead of, you know, something claiming it for the big 12 and just said uh, SEC on SEC violence. It would have been funnier. Like just lean in, start claiming Colorado's victories. Like just, just lean in. Like it's, it's, it's this very weird realignment situation where we have to, yeah, we have to literally like we already put in our, our, you know, one year's notice and we just have to, to continue to work on the job where everyone hates each other and wishes for, you know, mutual insured destruction. But 
uh, pretend for the cameras like we're all a happy family. And we're not. And we're not. And we don't like you, and it's fine. But that's what we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on socials media at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter, X. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. We'll be back on Thursday previewing the Wyoming show, and then we'll be back on Tuesday to recap that show as well. Kyle and I, like I said, we'll be at the Wyoming game. First time we've gone to a game since we were on campus together. So, first time we've gone to a game together since we've been on, since we're on campus together. So, if you see us, shout us out. We'd love to shake your hands and uh, see you. So, if you're out there, I'd love to talk to you. But thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Bring on the count.